Last week, we talked about why you definitely want to miss this. This week, we're talking about doing good versus being good. After decades of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond our personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and multiple conversations with stressed out nonprofit leaders later, our desire to help nonprofits grow in a healthy and sustainable way was bigger than ever. If you're a leader at the top or in the middle of a volunteer and donor-based organization, this podcast is for you. We believe that a better world needs healthier nonprofits, and it's our passion to help you fulfill your organization's mission while helping you live a fulfilled life. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Do the ends really justify the means? And in a lot of nonprofits, that's kind of the question that's being thrown around. We're accomplishing this, and we have to do this thing that maybe is a little not as savory, but it's worth it because we're trying to accomplish this other thing that's really, really important. And it can get really messy when those important things are matters of life and death. It can get really messy when those things are matters of faith. Um, when you're thinking about really large scale impact and very important impact, and then you say the ends justify the means, that gives that if, if that's your philosophy, it can give you a lot of freedom to do a lot of terrible things in the name of something better or something, you know, something better or greater. Um, And I've I've actually heard this from a lot of uh, people who are uh, atheists, for example, saying like a lot of bad things have happened in the name of religion. Mm -hmm. And that's that idea from uh, religious leaders or nonprofit leaders or just organizational leaders that the ends justify the means. And I think this is such a strange dichotomy that has shown up in nonprofit work over years and years and years. And it's this whole idea of you can either do good or you can be good, but you can't do both unless you're going to have very minimal impact and not be highly effective. Hmm. And so we were listening to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill over the last like couple of years ago it came out. And it's like the story of a church. And I just remember there was a quote in there from the pastor that was talking about how the bodies that were thrown off the bus were just piling up behind their church. Like it was just this idea of all these people who are just getting burnt out, worn out and getting hurt in the process. And he didn't care because as long as the church was moving forward, um, he was good with it. And he's like, that's just part of the cost of doing business. And it's this unfortunate mindset that I don't think nonprofit leaders even realize that they're holding. Mm -hmm. And even the phrase when I've heard people say, well, the end justifies the means, Um, A lot of times it doesn't start that way. By the time a nonprofit leader is saying the ends justifies the means, it's because that they have crossed a line that they are now trying to like look back and justify some of the Mm. decisions that they made. I don't know of any nonprofit leader who has ever gotten started who starts their nonprofit with that statement. Yeah, no, they they don't. they're, They're not thinking about all of the things that have kind of gone wrong and figure out how to justify them yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think that's a big part of it is they're not, they're not already trying to justify the people that have been hurt along the way. And that rather than looking, uh, looking back a nonprofit that's been around for a while that may be starting to adopt this mindset looks back and sees pain about, 
people that used to work there and got upset and relationships that were kind of severed and all this stuff. And rather than deal with the pain, they kind of build up a wall that says, well, you know what? It's worth it. And mm-hmm. they just put a brick on the wall. Yeah. And, you know, oh, it's it, it that thing hurt me, but it's worth it. The ends justified the means personally. Yeah. And the more stuff that gets built on that wall, all of a sudden my wall is a lot bigger than your wall. And so I'm going to start telling you that the ends justify the means. That pain that you're experiencing right now, it's worth it because hungry kids got fed or whatever, right? Yep. Soon that wall becomes really, really big. And now all of a sudden we can treat people poorly because it's worth it. Because Put look at the, the big wall. wall that we have. Um, we have seen nonprofit leaders who start to think this way and it always starts really, really small. Yeah. It'll start with this small decision. Um, there was one leader who was talking to me and they were like, we need more money for one of our programs and we have enough donations in a different area. So if we just move over $1,000 for the short term, eventually we can pay this other one back and we don't have to tell the donors that we're using their money for something other than what they donated to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, no, like designated mm-hmm. funds and nonprofit, like they're designated. Like we have to be very careful with those. But it wasn't that she had this idea of the ends justify the means in a grand scale of look at all these people that are being impacted. It was a smaller nonprofit and it was the first time that she came face to face with an issue and had to decide, does the ends justify the means if I lie to one main donor so that the nonprofit can stay solvent? so that it can stay working, so that it can stay doing the work. And she's like, because if the nonprofit doesn't exist, then that funding, it doesn't matter that it didn't go Mm -hmm. to the thing because the nonprofit doesn't exist. And I was like, why don't you just call the donor? She's like, well, I'm like, no, call the donor and say, I understand you donated to this thing. We had more donations to that area than we anticipated. And so our nonprofit right now has money, but it's a little bit unbalanced. And so we actually can't carry out that work because of this issue, would you be okay with us using a part of your donation to this so that ultimately we can move everything forward? Mm-hmm. I don't think most donors would have had a problem with that. But the question that she was asking wasn't, can I have that conversation? The question she was asking is, how much can I, can I move <laughs> before I have to have the conversation? Yeah. And that's one of those do good or be good um, mm. questions that people start asking themselves. And those things, they start so small. They start with one little fudge. They start with one little move. They start with one little, I just put a little bit more pressure on this person than I should have. And I was a little bit harsh with them. But at the end of the day, they got their stuff done and the event went well. So does it really matter? I'm not going to go apologize. I'm just going to say it was worth it and they'll forgive me. Um, Mm. A lot of times it becomes this thing where I don't want to have the necessary conversations to maintain healthy relationships. I don't want to acknowledge what I messed up and I don't want to acknowledge how that mess up actually hurt me. Mm. Like this is a mix of accountability and counseling that's needed. I think for a lot of nonprofit <laughs> leaders. No, the whole do good versus be good conversation. I, I think it really, it points to a pattern that I, that we see a lot in leadership, especially in nonprofit leadership where they're not thinking long-term and the long-term effects of things that erode trust. Um, and they also feel like in a certain circle of people, 
if I erode a little bit of trust with this outer circle of people, it's not going to affect the trust that I have within this inner circle of people. Yeah. Um, and that's just flat out wrong because when somebody in your inner circle sees you doing something untrustworthy for somebody in an outer circle, you're eroding trust with the people at your core. And it's like you're rotting from the inside. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be thinking as leaders, how are we building or eroding trust right now that is going to affect the long run, like 10 years from now? Yeah, all the time. Every single thing that we do makes a difference. Every single thing, every conversation we have, the way that we treat every single person and our ability, listen, we're not going to be perfect. There's going to be a moment where in the short term, our, the ends justifies the means, we snap a little bit too much. We say something a little bit too harshly. Mm. We ask too much. When we said we wouldn't ask them to volunteer another time this month, we overstep. But once we realize that we've overstepped, it's that moment that either brings us back into a position of trust with the people that we are actually working with and that we are leading and that we are supposed to be caring for, um, or it's where we double down on our actions. There's no middle of the road. It's not just, oh, the action happened. It's unfortunate. No, it is either mm. fixed and mended or we double down on it by walking past that person the next time they show up at our nonprofit, looking them in the eyes, and they know, and we know, and we choose not to acknowledge it. It's saying like, yep, I know that there's something weird between us, but instead of addressing it, I'm going to say, yeah, this is what it is, and I'm just going to let it be. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's a terrible feeling. And people are hoping that you're going to recognize that you made a mistake or whatever. And man, it, it is something that just starts so tiny and just grows over time. Mm -hmm. um, it's like telling little white lies eventually turns into, you know, big I'm thinking of uh, Veggie Tales <laughs> and the fib <laughs> from outer space. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. But that's, that's how so many problems start is when someone says like, ah, it's just a little... It's a little thing, but I want to kind of go back to how it, it, it starts with us trying to deal with the pain as leaders mm -hmm. because there inevitably is some, you know, even if somebody leaves an organization, they're one of your star volunteers and they leave an organization for a perfectly legitimate reason. They moved away or something. Yeah. It still hurts. Yeah. So even when it's not like I'm mad at you, so I'm leaving. And I'm going to, you know, trash talk your organization or whatever. Even if it's not something like that, it still hurts a little bit. So then how we deal with that as leaders is going to either snowball and become something that is going to be unhealthy for the organization. Because as leaders, the way that we deal with things personally trickles down into mm -hmm. the organization. Yeah. So we have to figure out how to deal with the pain that comes from just natural attrition. How are we going to deal with the pain that comes from natural donor numbers going up and down depending on seasons and people's jobs and and stuff? How are we going to deal with those things personally? Right. And it comes from recognizing that my pain does not justify me causing pain. My stress mm -hmm. does not justify me causing pain. My bad day does not justify me causing someone else to have a bad day. And... I think sometimes it comes from a, I don't, I don't want to address it. Like it sucks to get hurt. Um, it sucks to be stabbed in the back. 
And it makes it hard to trust again, especially in specific volunteer roles or with people that you viewed as not just a leader, but as a friend and as a confidant. Mm-hmm. And when what happens is when someone hurts you, the easiest thing to do is to say, I will not be friends with anyone in that role. I will no longer have friends in my organization hmm. or to view the role as somehow compromised. Any person in that role must be someone that I shouldn't trust. Hmm. And it's a way of like self-protection of saying, I, I don't want to do this. And part of the issue is when we go through something painful, like legit being stabbed in the back by someone that we thought we could trust. A lot of times we don't want to actually work through the pain because part of working through the pain in those situations is to sometimes recognize maybe I played a part in it. And Mm -hmm. as a leader who's already in pain and already struggling, that is one of the worst realizations. Yeah, to realize like, oh, shoot, like I caused that for somebody else. And I've been in situations where I've been hurt so bad that it's like, even if we had a conversation and even if we sat down and said, hey, we both messed up, can like, I'm sorry, I forgive you, like actually had a heart to heart conversation. Sometimes those relationships are so badly damaged from just a massive breach of trust that you recognize that it's not coming back, period. Mm -hmm. Like it is done. And so those things as leaders, those moments, how we handle those and how we choose to either engage in the process of healing or shut down the process of healing so that we can numb the pain, our options in that moment and how we decide to engage or not engage affects how we lead going forward in our organization. It's way easier in an organization to lead from a hierarchy and to sit at the top and be like, I'm just going to tell you what to do. I don't care about you. Just get your stuff done. Yeah. I'm just here to make the difference. And if you don't want to make a difference, that's not my fault. You basically try to turn off emotionally so that way you don't have to deal with the emotional pain mm-hmm. that inevitably is going to happen. I think it happens way more in nonprofit too, just yeah. because of the nature of what people are working on together. It's a shared belief structure where like in business, the shared belief is we all want money and we're here <laughs> and it sucks, but at least we have, we have paychecks, you know, yep. that's the shared belief. But in nonprofit work, it's like, no, these things matter to us. You know, yeah. we were talking about in a recent video, just like um, the whole idea of like your why makes you cry in nonprofit that actually happens pretty naturally because the people who are drawn to be able to want to partner with the nonprofit are drawn there because they care. Right. And so then you find somebody else that also cares. And now you like the likelihood of you forming a strong bond is way higher than you yeah. making a friend at a nine to five cubicle job. Yeah. I think part of this is cultural too, because we know that if someone gets a job, they're probably only going to be there for a certain amount of time. Yes. Mm. Some companies have lifers, but at the end of the day, people are changing careers every few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just thought that's kind of the cycle and businesses account for it. Like they understand their training rate, their hiring rate, um, their natural ooh, attrition, ooh. bringing this all is that a really stuff good, in. This is a really good point. But within nonprofit, it's like leaders have a blinders on, have a blinders. Good job. Uh, <laughs> leaders have blinders, blinders. on. <laughs> and, and they're like, no, we are going into this assuming everyone is a lifer, that everyone who cares about this now is going to care about it forever unless something is wrong with them or something is wrong with me. 
and it's usually them it, it, it's <laughs> always them i'm the leader it's always them i mean obviously yeah. um <laughs> i wouldn't totally be in kidding. charge if it was always me <laughs> i wouldn't be in charge if i wasn't perfect i don't know what your problem is um but this this is an issue that happens where there's this assumption mm. that because someone joins they have joined you are part of the family and it's part of the reason that we like the idea of like i understand why nonprofits and businesses they use the word family but i'm always like but but when someone leaves the family it is devastating to the family yeah we should be careful with how we throw that word around and throwing that word around creates such pressure within an organization to stay and creates such turmoil when people leave where we need to know that, honestly, the attrition rate for nonprofit might not be as high as a lot of businesses, because when you might not... <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was higher. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think it depends on the leadership. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's but point. I do think that if you have a healthy nonprofit and someone who is committed to that organization, they're going to stay through a lot more. Yeah, then, they might put. Yeah, they might say, like, you know, what, I'm not gonna move because I need to stay close to this yeah. thing that I care about. Because it's harder to find a nonprofit that you can be that type of involved in in a different community. Yeah, that's true. Um, but when I don't remember where I was going. Oh, yeah. So we assume that this is the case that people are going to be there for the long term without realizing, like, no, we need to plan for like the natural turnover that comes from people looking for other jobs because. Let's be honest, nonprofit work as someone is on staff, it's a job. Yes, they might care about the mission. Hopefully they do. They care about the vision. They want to see people helped. But we still need to recognize it is part of a job history. It is part of a career futuringness. I don't have words for that, but please make me sound smarter. <laughs> it's part of their resume. Thank it's you. It's going on their <laughs> resume at some point. Um, they're probably not going to stay there forever. And I, I really like what you said about um, businesses know the cost of bringing on a new employee and losing a, a current employee. They know the financial cost. And in businesses, what is the number one driving metric? It's profit, mm -hmm. right? In nonprofit, it's obviously not profit. <laughs> in nonprofit, there are a bunch of driving metrics. That's our flywheel, the, all those things. We have to be prepared in all of those areas. Yeah. Just like a business is prepared on the balance sheet for a new employee or an employee leaving and, and having to do turnover. Nonprofits need to be prepared on all of those spokes of the flywheel. Right. And thinking ahead, like, how do we deal with the right people problem when someone eventually leaves? Because they will. It's an eventuality. It's not a if. It's just a when. How do we prepare on the vision hole that we're going to have. There's going to be a vacuum of vision when this person eventually leaves. There's going to be a vacuum of uh, the ability to generate good systems and mm -hmm. to run the systems well. There's going to be a vacuum of building trust. There's going to be a vacuum of strength. There's going to be a vacuum of uh, ability to execute yeah. on stuff. And, and uh, emotionally as well. Like businesses, they don't they're not tracking like, oh, how many friends are going to be sad when this person quits the job there? I mean, they're not that's not on their balance sheet, but it should be something that we care about and think about as leaders. Like what is going to be the emotional impact when someone eventually leaves? 
Yeah. And am I ready to deal with that emotional impact as that person leaves? Yeah. And handle and, it in a way that works. Yeah. Handle it in a way that's healthy. And part of this mm -hmm. is having the right people around you who are outside of your organization who understand it. So other nonprofit leaders. It's also great to have leaders who are in like the for-profit sector because they deal with similar problems. They just have a different mindset. And sometimes mm -hmm. it can just be refreshing to hear how someone else would handle it. And it can give you some really great ideas. We also need to have the right people around us in terms of actual counselors and mentors who we can go to and say, this person left and here's how it hurt me. Separate from here's how it hurt the organization. We need to address both. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we're so busy trying to stop the bleeding from the organization that we don't actually address. Here's how it hurt my heart personally. And then we get to a spot where now it's been 90 days and it's like, okay, so we kind of got that fixed. We got someone new in there. Things are moving forward, but I still haven't addressed my issues. But at this point, it's been 90 days. I should be over it already. Right. And then you put another brick in the wall mm -hmm. and, and then it just becomes more fodder that can be burned when you're trying to do something that is unsavory. You're like, I took a hit because it's worth it. The organization can take this hit because it's worth it. Or you have someone come to you who says, I I don't think I handled the situation right. I think I spoke to my volunteer in a way that wasn't kind, or I was really stressed and I acted like this, and I just don't know. And you look at them, and because you haven't acknowledged the pain that you have felt or the pain that you have caused, you look back at them and say, you know what, though? You were really stressed. And at the end of the day, it ended up working. It'll probably be fine. And we end up using the fact that we have not addressed our behavior or addressed our pain to then justify someone else making a decision that's going to lead them to a point where there's more pain. It's like when you hear stories of someone who's like, oh, man, I lost like $5,000 in a bad deal and it was terrible. And like someone else comes up, they're like, oh, that's not bad at all. One time I had to go through bankruptcy. And like the person who went through something worse almost uses the fact, well, mine was worse and I survived. So you should be able to survive that to like justify and minimize because they don't want to look internally and be like, oh, man, he thinks his life is hard and he lost 5,000. I've been through bankruptcy. Like, so I have to use mine as a badge of honor. Yeah, it's like I'm going to wear mine as a badge of honor instead of addressing like, yeah, that was really hard. <laughs> like. I'm just glad I made it through mm. because sometimes when we see someone who has done something smaller than us and they are struggling with their internal conflict about it, it makes us have to have to examine whether or not we should be more conflicted than we are about things that we have done personally. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of machismo that like takes over in that moment. And you're like, I have to save face not just for them but also for myself and i have to justify why it was okay when some things just weren't okay and even if they weren't wrong they still sucked not being wrong doesn't mean that it's right right like can we just get that straight as nonprofits? <laughs> just because something isn't wrong does not mean that it was right like and that's the gray area where it's like the ends justifies the me. It wasn't wrong. But was it, it right, It wasn't though? right, though. Like, like <laughs> let's be honest. Like, it wasn't right. And the more that we massage the rightness of something, like, what well, was 98% right? Sorry. 
2% wrong. Like, let's address that now because otherwise, mm-hmm. pretty soon you're going to be at 5% wrong. And you're, yeah, you're you're justifying 6 and 7% wrong. 6 yeah. and 7. Then by that point, you're pretty much just on your way to wrong. Because, <laughs> like, things, especially little things like that where we give up little bits of our integrity, snowball so fast. Mm-hmm. It's not like uh, you have to do 100 things to get from 1 to 100. You have to do about three things to be in a hole so dark you don't even know how to get out of it. You brought up an interesting thing about knowing and having other people that like run nonprofits or businesses that you can confer, confide in and counselors and stuff. Um, I have seen people take that advice and still surround themselves with a bad choice mm-hmm. of advisors or bad choice for counselors or bad choice for uh, other nonprofit leaders to surround themselves with that they surround themselves with people who have already built up walls about the ends justify the means. Mm-hmm. And so now that's the advice that they're getting is like, hey, it's all right. Like, it's okay if you, you know, if a bunch of people get really upset and are hurt by what happened here because you treated them poorly at a volunteering event We've or seen something. That too. Like, it's okay. And so then you're like, okay, well, now I'm even more justified. It's not just the ends justify the means, but somebody who's running an organization just put the stamp of approval on this and then it can really take off and go really bad places. And I think that's one of the hardest things as leaders when we are seeking out mentors and we are seeking out companions who we can actually share life with. I think that's one of the hardest parts, honestly, is not choosing people who are going to make us feel better. Mm-hmm. And not choosing people who are going to push us into um, doing what we're already doing. Like, if we know something is a little bit off, we need to use that as a guide. Like, I don't feel like this is quite right. I feel like there might be a better way of doing it. And if we find, like, a leader who's willing to say, oh, no, that's perfectly right, and basically make space for our uncertainty, because you know that feeling, like you mm-hmm. know that feeling in your, in gut. your gut when you're like, I'm not handling this. Is not this is this the is right not good. This. Like this can't be the right way. When we find a mentor who's willing to say, Yeah, actually, that is the right way. Like it's so easy to be like, Oh, cool. Now mm-hmm. I can turn off that little sick feeling in my gut that's kind of calling me out a little bit, like the Jiminy Cricket. Mm-hmm. Hey, don't do that. <laughs> like, yeah, because that that unfortunately that feeling is usually accompanied with a sense of like relief, like this didn't feel good, but it's better than the alternative. Mm-hmm. And the alternative is like you know your brain goes all sorts of weird places. Like fudging something in the balance sheet is better than the alternative of having to rob a bank to get the funding or something, right? And it's like. No, you can't be ridiculous about this. You have to be realistic and say the alternative to fudging numbers or, you know, treating people poorly is down the road. Like good things are happening because you've built trust and actually acted with integrity. And so figuring out how to find a mentor early on and a and companions early on who are going to actually call you out yeah. on your crap and and that you're going to listen to and submit to is super important and very very hard to do it's easier said than done and i think that a lot of this comes down to finding people whether they're counselors mentors or other people in your circle um finding people who value your integrity 
more than they value the shininess of what you're building. Ooh, that's good. Because I know some business people and some nonprofit leaders who have built something that look fantastic, but they're willing to slip on their integrity. They're willing to let it go a little bit of a side for the purpose of getting the bigger thing and having those public accolades. And they prefer to have people around them that care more about the size and the shiny than they do about their personal integrity. Mm -hmm. But Hmm. if you have someone who's like, I don't care if your nonprofit is succeeding, if you are acting like that, let's get this in check first. And if you're like, well, my nonprofit might drink and they're like, you know what, though, small, small nonprofit is more like that's worth it. If it means that you are acting as someone who's actually living with integrity and living up to what you know you should be doing personally. Which is an interesting flip of the script of what we're talking about. We didn't plan this, but it turns out really good. Is (laughs) the whole do better versus be better. You want to find somebody who says, in order to be better, the ends justify the means. Mm -hmm. You might have to draw back what your plans are for your nonprofit. You might have to shut down a wing of what you're doing. You might have to retract and you might have you might lose a couple volunteers when you get honest about a mistake that you made. They didn't know you made the mistake, but you're having to get honest in front of everybody in order to actually build trust with people. You might lose some people, but the ends justify the means. Your integrity and the trust that you're building is the end and it justifies the means of a small retraction and having someone around you that notices that and values that for you and is going to ruthlessly get after you on that stuff is super important. Yeah. We were meeting with a counselor. Hope you're okay with me sharing this because here goes. It depends on what you're going to share. We were meeting with a counselor and we were just talking about some of our past stuff and just figuring out some stuff that we were working through or whatever. And she said something interesting because we come from um, nonprofit work. We have a lot of experience specifically in a church background um, and leading in that way. And she said something. She said, here's the thing with you and Ted. You could put on any event and have it run well. She's like, that is second nature because of your background. She said, so the question isn't whether or not you can run a good event. The question is whether or not you two can run a good event and know that you honestly ran it. Hmm. She's like, because we are all good enough to fake whatever needs to be faked in order to look successful. Mm -hmm. And it was an interesting conversation because we weren't talking about like doing an event necessarily. Um, But we were just kind of asking questions like, well, here's what the past was. Here's what the future might hold. Here's whatever. And she's like, no, before we even look at the future, we need to look at the right now. Because you're still dealing with some stuff and you're still processing through some different things and you're still figuring out some things about yourself and communication and, you know, all the things that we all deal with. She's like, but until this is figured out, you won't be able to step into the future honestly. You're going to step into the future. She's like, and you guys can pull it off. Like, that's Mm -hmm. the problem with you. The problem (laughs) is that you can succeed without actually having made sure that you're in a good spot to be able to succeed. And I think a lot of big leaders are skilled enough to pull off the big thing without being in a spot personally where they should be pulling off the big thing. 
Just because you can do it doesn't mean it's the right thing to be doing or doesn't mean it's the right timing. And I think when leaders get started, it starts out with this like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to figure it out. And then it starts to work and then it grows and then it grows and then it grows. And then pretty soon there's an aspect of the organization that has outgrown the character of the leader. And until that leader is willing to sit down and be like, wait, pause. I haven't personally grown. The organization is growing beyond me and I need to make sure that I'm doing right by the organization by making sure I'm doing good for myself. Mm -hmm. Like until that that is in play, like that's where it gets really dangerous because they feel like I just need to fake it till I make it. And eventually I'll become the leader the organization needs. Mm -hmm. When in reality, in chasing the growth of the organization, they're sacrificing themselves as a leader and as a person. Right. That's why that personal growth piece is so important Mm -hmm. because you want to make sure that you're not creating an inflation gap yeah. between the growth of the organization and where you are. The, the answer is is never to uh, try to grow beyond capacity uh, as an organization. The answer is always to increase your capacity and then let it fill in. Increase capacity and let it fill in. And it's not just about physical capacity. It's about uh, emotional capacity as a leader. It's about your abilities as uh, a leader and ability to cast vision, ability to build trust and be honest and have integrity and the ability to build systems that are sustainable and work well to grow the organization. It's the ability to have the integrity that when a donor comes to you and says, here's a check for this amount of money or here's a wad of cash, but I want you to do X, Y, and Z. It's the integrity to say, like, either I'm not accepting your donation or if you're like other people I know who take it and say, thank you so much for the donation. We don't run it like that here. Like, but it's, it's the process of like, yes, you can donate. Cause sometimes we have donors who will like donate online and then in person, they're like, didn't you appreciate my donation? Here's what I want you to do for me now. Yeah. And, use and it as a it's that chip. willing to say like, I appreciate your donation, but we don't do that here. Like it's willing, it's that willingness to say, like, I recognize that my decision right now is going to impact future donations, mm-hmm. but we don't do that here. Yep. And if you don't want to donate because we're not going to give you extra favor for donating, that's okay. We, we, we don't want to have donations that have lots of strings attached, mm-hmm. you know, and just laying that out front is very very hard to do when you're strapped for cash and it's like right there but that's the integrity that is so important but long term if you don't lay that out up front you end up beholden to people to whoever has the highest amount of money in their bank account Mm -hmm. like and that's a really dangerous place to be as a nonprofit leader because it's it's just hard to get out of we've seen like we've been watching ozark together (laughs) um And as they're like going through all the process, it's like, this isn't just like an easy thing. Like, it's not like if you do one little deal, you can just be involved with like all these people who are doing all this illegal activity and then just step out. Like once you're in, you're in and you don't even know the people that you're in with and you don't know where this is going to go. Those little moments as nonprofit leaders, I like that I'm comparing nonprofit to the drug cartel. Um, <laughs> hey, they, run a non- they run a nonprofit in the show. It's true. They do run a foundation. Um, <laughs> to but, launder money. It's terrible. <laughs> but as we, as leaders, decide that we are going to just 
get get involved with the donor who we know isn't really that right person, but um, at the end of the day, we really need the money and how bad could it get? Like the minute we start going down that path, we don't know what else is going to be involved there. And we don't want to know. Like you don't want to know. You don't want to have to get so far down that path that you're having to cut it off. Because by that point, you're risking a situation where your organization might already be compromised. Mm-hmm. And they probably know. And it's just, it gets so messy. Just But yeah, doing good versus being good. I think where we were kind of landing just a little bit ago with the idea of flipping the script and thinking about the ends justifies the means isn't necessarily a bad approach to take as long as being good is the end. And looking at a potential retraction of the organization as the means. If it means at the end of the day, you are building real trust with integrity, the ends justifies the means. Yeah. And so we want to know from you uh, viewers here on YouTube and listeners on the podcast, what are the things that you're wanting to focus on being better, not just doing better? as an organization. Sometimes it helps to just get some of those things off of your chest and share them with somebody else. We love receiving emails from from uh, listeners and from uh, viewers. Uh, you can always send us an email at office at legacybuildersintl.com. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com. 